Frio have landed their first trade target of the off-season, signing Gold Coast forward Josh Corbett on a two-year deal. Now, the Doggers reportedly beat out Essendon and Melbourne for the services after Corbett, you know, two of the clubs at Coburn Base earlier this month. It might be a situation I've seen on social media, people saying, Josh who? Well, did we know Will who before Will Brody came across from the Suns and really made an impact, uh, particularly in the first half of the season, for the Fremantle Dockers? And no doubt the Dockers are hoping that Josh Corbett does the same. Uh, coming up later in the program, I was there, had the pleasure of emceeing the Perth Glory launch today. Uh, over 400 people at the uh, Crown Theatre or the Crown uh, Complex. Uh, great occasion. The captain was announced uh, for both the women's and the men's team, plus all the players were paraded. So we'll speak to the CEO, the new CEO of the Perth Glory, in Anthony Radich, a bit later on. Now, yesterday I caught up with uh, a very well-respected football journalist. He'd been plying his trade for 37 of his 40 years in the media writing football and in some ways general sport. Talking about Mark Duffield, we'll look back at his career in journalism a bit later on here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. As I said, brought to you thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. You can text us anytime on the Tempera Bedshed text line 0487 736 736 or give us a call on the Scarborough Toyota open line 13 12 55. But a man that's been right across everything that's happening uh, on, on the AFL trade table today, headed by Josh Corbett's uh, certainly acquisition by Fremantle, is Jimmy Williams. Jimmy, good afternoon to you. Very good afternoon to you, Peter. It has been the big story out west this afternoon, and that is that Fremantle have landed Josh Corbett from the Gold Coast Suns. Of course, the last time they managed to snare someone out of Gold Coast, it was Will Brody, and what a fantastic season he had. Here's the reason uh, Josh Corbett says why he chose to come over to Fremantle. I just think the list is is really exciting. I think it's young. I think the way they play football is really exciting. Um, and I think that the way that I could fit in there is is through that link up forward. Um, I feel like my hands and running ability is something is a real asset and, and hope I can bring that into the football club. So I think obviously you're able to see um, they've been building and, and the last year obviously making finals is really exciting. And um, I think there's only onwards and upwards for, for Frio at this stage. Uh, obviously, Will Brody, uh, having played a bit of time with, with Wiz um, when he was at the Suns, uh, my partner and I were lucky enough to head over there um, just on the weekend, just gone. So we're able to meet with, with JL, Peter Bell, um, a few of the high performance staff and also had dinner with um, Andy Brayshaw, Caleb Strong and their partners. So um, we've been blown away by um, the club and, and their um, obviously all young young players that I've just named there. But their maturity and um, ability to have a conversation and um, just all around good people has, has been really um, nice and easy to make it one us appealing to obviously go and travel to um, the other side of Australia. So, um, yeah, it's, we're very excited. That was Josh Corbett earlier today. He had a media conference with members of the Australian, most in, most prominently the West Australian media. It's sure to be a big 48 hours for him, Pete, because, well, tomorrow Josh Corbett has his bucks due. Oh, yeah, really? Down tonight, actually, down to Melbourne. So, I've got a couple of my, uh, yeah, my, my groomsmen have organised a bit of a, we're supposed to be playing golf tomorrow, I think, but if you've seen the uh, the forecast down in Melbourne, way, I think there's about 40 mil of rain. So I think golf might be, uh, yeah, a bit postponed or something. I might have to do a bit of virtual golf. So I'll be heading down there, then I'm heading back to uh, to Warrnambool for a week, which will be nice to head back there and, and go and see grandparents and family and, and celebrate this, yeah, this amazing news that we get to share now, which will be, which will be great. Do you expect your, your mates to go relatively kind on you tomorrow then? 
yeah, they'll be they'll be very kind of me. They're they're a good young bunch of lads. Um, they know what's going on in the world, and you know, they'll be looking forward to celebrating at the end of the day. But we're going to head to uh, to the Caulfield Guineas on on Saturday. So if you've got any tips, let me know, and we'll see if we can back a winner. What about that, Pete? Uh, a big forty eight hours. You you find yourself at a brand new AFL club, and and you have your bucks due the following day. No doubt, Josh Corbett would have a lot of mixed emotions today. Oh, it's a big, big period for him. And I reckon uh, it's excitement, isn't it, Jimmy? The excitement of a, a new career in AFL, getting a, a, probably a better opportunity than what he's had already. And nothing like, and you'll find it in time, Jimmy. Nothing like uh, getting <laughs> married. And it'll happen to you one day, mate. Yeah. And you'll sense the excitement that Josh Corbett has got as well. Just before you wrap up the report, anything else that's transpiring today that could possibly develop in the next couple of days? Yeah, a couple of things just before I go, Pete. The Eagles have reportedly asked about Port Adelaide utility Dan Houston. It's understood they asked the question about a potential move for the power utility as part of a mega deal, despite Houston signing a five-year contract extension with Port Adelaide back in March, which sees him through to 2027. Uh, earlier today, Paul Hazelby on the run home said he doesn't believe that that will eventuate. There has been a roadblock in the deal for Josh Dunkley, who is trying to leave the Bulldogs for the Brisbane Lions. The Dogs adamant that Dunkley is worth two first-round picks. The Lions, though, have already traded pick 15 for 21 in a swap with the Giants yesterday before landing picks 25, 36 and 56 in a deal that sent Lion Tom Berry to Gold Coast. And those trades gave them nearly 900 points to match father-son bids. The Lions are going to need it to pick up uh, son of a gun Will Ashcroft and fellow first-rounder Jasper Fletcher. But what it does, Pete, is leave the Dunkley discussions at an impasse as the Dogs continue to push for two first-round picks for their best and fairest winner. How do you see that one, Pete? I mean, Josh Dunkley, is he really worth two first-round picks? He is the Bulldogs' reigning BNF Well, he is their best and fairest, and Mm. I think he's played and shown big games that can deliver. But the thing is, he's wanted out for the last two years. It's a real similar situation to Rory Law. But now, in the end... The Bulldogs are playing hard ball, just like Fremantle, even though Fremantle is saying he's a contracted player, he's going nowhere. But the fact that he's wanted out in the last two years, I reckon make him sweat. Make him sweat. And I reckon the Bulldogs are going to look after their interests. I think he'll eventually go there. But uh, it may be one of those deals that could fall as late as Wednesday. And just one final uh, one to keep an eye on before I get out of here, Pete. Tigers Ruckman Ivan Soldo today meeting with GWS and completing a medical. The involvement of Soldo could help Richmond in negotiations over a deal for star midfielder Jacob Hopper. They have, have already, of course, signed, tinned, signed Tim Taranto, rather, and they're hoping to join Jacob Hopper with him at the Tigers. As things stand, the Giants are searching for more than the Tigers' offer of pick 31 and a future first-round selection for Jacob Hopper, who is highly touted at GWS. Well, good news for Saints fans. Youngster Hunter Clark is going nowhere. There were plenty of rumours despite the Saints uh, reportedly shopping him around. Hunter Clark will be at St Kilda in 2023. Pete? And I reckon the big news for St Kilda, Jimmy, and your father, <laughs> and you'll be happy, is getting Jeff Walsh yesterday yeah, great as result. the head of your uh, list development. He is an outstanding operator, and he'll be very good for St Kilda. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for wrapping up everything that's happened on the AFL trade table today. We'll take a break, come back with more in a moment after the break. I'll speak to the CEO of the Perth Glory. They had their big season launch today. It's all thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. 
Silma, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. This is The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Yes, a big day today at the uh, Crown Complex. Uh, it was the Perth Glory's official launch for their brand new season, 2022-23. There has been certainly significant uh, changes with the playing staff and also the off-field staff. But what was interesting today is the old faces and the ones that had been connected to the Glory over their journey returning, which will certainly make it uh, a very, very strong off-field lineup, and it's headed by a man who's had a couple of stints at the Perth Glory, has gone away and certainly uh, in, increased his CV and, and what he's achieved out in the market and the community, and now he's come back as the CEO of the Perth Glory, heading into a new era, is Anthony Radich, and he was unveiled as the new CEO at the gathering today, and we've got him on the program. Anthony, thanks for your time. Thank you, Peter. Pleasure. Nice way to launch the season today. It was a nice feeling in the room. Yeah, it was it was great to be back and to see so many familiar faces and uh, and to see so many people there, um, you know, ready to um, engage with us for for another season and excited to do so. And when you look at those familiar faces, there was yourself, of course. Andy Keogh is there as the head of uh, recruitment. He's been busy like yourself. Are you happy at this stage with the season officially starting for the Glory on Sunday in that way game to the Western Sydney Wanderers of the hard work that's done in the off season and where you're at uh, at the moment? Yeah, I think we've 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 climbed a hell of a mountain in a short period of time, and I think um, you know, kudos to. To Andy, he's certainly taken, you know, um, he's really, you know, taken the, um, the bit between his teeth and, and gone hard on the recruitment side. Um, and um, I think he's, you know, he's established a, a really well, a well-balanced squad there, you know, with uh, probably a good mix of season experienced campaigners as well as some exciting youth. So, yeah, no, we, um, we're waiting with bated breath. Um, a little bit difficult to sort of uh, ascertain where we're at in terms of, you know, vis-a-vis the competition because... It's just it's difficult to get that hardened A-League sort of pre-season competition being this side of the country. It's not easy. Um, but um, we'll certainly find out in the first few games where we sit. But, um, yeah, we, we're, we're quietly confident with the squad we've got. Of course, the home games now will be played at uh, Macedonia Park in Stirling. It was unveiled today. Probably the capacity will be around about 4,500. It certainly will be... Uh, a great atmosphere, but as you said, there's restrictions because of uh, the corporate facilities and certainly people that um, may need a ticket to get in with 4,500 being the ceiling. Yeah, it's one of the unfortunate things that, you know, regardless of where we went as an alternative venue, we're going to be compromised to some degree. Um, you know, in some, some places, you know, probably better from a corporate perspective, others compromised from a spectator perspective. But um, we, you know, we made a call around Macedonia Park. Unfortunately, we don't have that level of corporate amenity, so we will miss out there. Um, and just given the time frame we've had to work in, we, we haven't got the ability to, to build it as a, as a membership build. Um, so it will be a fully ticketed event. Um, but, you know, we're hopeful that, you know, we, we return to, a, I guess, a, a traditional football community feel. Um, and then with a view to, you know, having some good numbers attend at HBF Park for three games at the back end of the year. And hopefully, hopefully we're in the mix come finals time as well. I mean, we can springboard into next season. But, you know, we're... We're confident that, you know, we'll have a great atmosphere at Macedonia Park, that you know, the community will rally behind us and uh, it'll be a place that, you know, opposition fear to, to come to. Anthony, you mentioned today at the launch that one of your priorities was to get, uh, of course, your administration team together and your off-field team. 
Uh, that would have taken a little bit of time, but I gather a few people knew Anthony Radich and wanted to come along on the new ride of the glory, the glory roller coaster that's been in recent times with you. Are you happy with the expertise that you've got at management and off-field level? Yeah, I mean, we didn't um, we didn't have a lot of time to, to get a team together. Um, but, yeah, no, um, really happy with, with, with the team we've got. And it's all about getting people with the... Like I said today, getting people that are one competent, but but two have to have the right attitude, the passion, um, you know, to 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 want to strive for the club and work hard for the club. Um, attitude is everything, um, you know. Just getting people of you know that that, that right mindset has been the, was the priority, and I think we've got a really good team. Um, like I said, it was probably unfortunate we, we were sort of looking with a view to come you know, January to have HB Park games in play, which would have given us our, our off-field team some time to settle. Um, that's not going to be the case now. But, um, no, I think it holds us in good stead for the future. Well, the captains were unveiled today. Natasha Rigby, who's been such a leader for the Perth Glory A-League women's team, again, unveiled as captain today. And they look quite strong. And Alex Apakis, so the coach of the Glory uh, women's team into his third, th- third season, is very enthusiastic about the future. And, of course... I couldn't believe the size of the A-League men's squad. I just kept reading, reading out names, Anthony. It is a big squad that has been assembled. And one of those recruits in the off-season, in Mustafa Amini, who spent uh, a bit of time at Sydney FC and, of course, overseas and has played for the Socceroos, will wear the captain's armband this season. Yeah, terrific, terrific appointment. And I think, um, like um, Ruben you know, alluded to, it's... Um Sort of a split personality. He's definitely on the on the field. He's very very determined, you know, and, and uh, you know demands a lot of his teammates and of himself. But um, he also has that 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 really um, like affable and uh, likable personality off the field. So I think you know the members and the fans were certainly warm to him, and hopefully you know he has a, has a good run with you know um, with injury and the like because that sort of hampered him in the past. But his talent's always been undeniable. Um, yeah, and you're right. We've got a big squad. I think um, I think now with the A League squads being, having the ability to, to to bring on scholarship players um, allows teams to to build a lot more depth. Um, but yeah, you're certainly reading out a lot of names there today, Peter. And um, yeah, it's I think we've got probably over 30, 30 odd players. I think in that squad. No, it was a very, very strong squad. So as I let you go, uh, Anthony, as the CEO now of the Perth Glory, what is uh, the major priority for you going forward with the season, even though it's an away game kicking off on Sunday? What is your priority right now? Yeah, priority right now is to make sure we get the build right for Macedonia Park and we can get that up to scratch. Um, we've got a women's game there on the 29th of November. That'll sort of be a precursor to the men's game, which will happen on December 10. We just want to make sure that, you know, we tick that off, that we have all the amenities in place and that the experience for our members and our fans are an enjoyable one. We won't really want them to, um, you know, really embrace the um, the situation we, we've, we've been placed with, make the most of it, um, that they enjoy the experience, that they come back in strong numbers at HBF Park and, and you know, build a nice platform um, leading into next season, most importantly for us. Um, yeah, build that platform for, you know, future membership, corporate and the like. Um, but um, in, the, in, the, in the meantime as well, just... Um, now that once we do settle out the, the Macedonia, Macedonia Park equation, being able to re-engage and communicate with our members and, and build that affinity. 
Well, thanks for joining us, Anthony. Of course, Tony Lewis, uh, your equivalent of the Western Force, now has similar issues because they used HBF Park as their home ground as well, and now they're looking for an alternative site as well. It's caused a lot of inconvenience to the two residents, the uh, main residents of HBF Park being the Glory and the Force. But uh, let's hope when it's all done and dusted, it'll be a far better facility that uh, yourselves and the Force can engage and utilise and maximise. Thanks for your time today, and well done at the launch earlier at Crown. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for all your effort today with the club. We appreciate it. All right. Uh, thank you. Anthony Radich joining the new CEO of the Perth Glory here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. We'll take a break. All thanks uh, to our friends at Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre. It's coming up 20 past five. Back with more in a moment. This is The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. As I mentioned yesterday, I spoke to outgoing chief football writer for the West Australian in Mark Duffield, uh, a very celebrated career. In fact, he started his journalistic uh, journey in relation to the West Australian in 1992 when the West Coast Eagles won their very first flag. And of course, he writes his final column for the West Australian this Saturday, which will be an interesting column indeed. So uh, Mark Duffield, I spoke to him yesterday. We'll feature that interview actually on the program in just a, a few moments' time. Let's just recap again what happened uh, at AFL Trade today. Uh, Jimmy Williams, of course, gave you all the details regarding Josh Corbett, who has landed at the Fremantle Dockers, the Dockers' first trade. And, you know, Josh Corbett, uh, as I said, many people are saying, Josh who? Well, we had, of course, a situation with Will Brody last year when he got picked up by the Dockers, uh, leaving the Suns. People weren't sure exactly who he was. But Josh Corbett is pretty keen on making an impact straight away. Yeah, of course. Well, I think Will and, and Tyson have laid out a bit of a blueprint for, for how a trade or how it hopes all to go. And to be honest, I hope I can go and have a similar impact. Obviously, a bit of a different role. So um, I look at my strengths as my running ability and my marking ability. So um, I feel like uh, I can bring that to the football club and particularly the way that the game plans evolve. Um, at Freo, I feel like I can fit in there and and as I touched on earlier, whether that's the connector link in between um, the forwards and the mids or, or being able to play that um, goal kicking forward as well. So obviously as a, as a forward, my role is, is to kick goals and um, I'm confident in my ability to do that. And I look forward to getting to work and getting amongst it. Yeah, he's very excited. And as Jimmy pointed out, he's also uh, going to his Bucks party in Melbourne this weekend. So there's plenty happening uh, for Josh Corbett. But as you would have, uh, when you want to find out more about the club and uh, how you've transitioned to do it, there's a perfect example because Will Brody was a son, became a docker. And of course, he had a chat to Will Brody before pursuing the Fremantle Dockers opportunity. He just touched on around um, the relationships um, and the genuine care that the club have for, from everybody, uh, not just the players, um, but the staff and the coaching and, and how they're all one unit and united all together. Um, obviously, those COVID times uh, were very challenging as far as they were pretty locked down, um, as, as most of the West were for, for a long period of time. So um, be able to strengthen those and create those really long-lasting bonds. That's something that excited me. I'm a very big relationship person, and hopefully you can tell by this call that I enjoy conversations. So... Um, people that are like-minded like that really track me to those to those things. Yeah, no, he speaks very well. Uh, Griffin Logue, as we know, has gone. Uh, he's uh, left, taken the, the big bird from the Fremantle Dockers 
and has landed at Arden Street, uh, the home of North Melbourne. And he did chat today the fact that Alistair Clarkson, who's the incumbent uh, coach due to start on the 1st of November, as we know, it may be delayed. That is Clarkson's tenure when he starts at the Kangaroos for obvious reasons, and that's been well documented. But he did have a chat with Clarkson, and that helped him make the move to North Melbourne. Well, like I said, it's a pretty long process, which is something that wasn't really prepared for, I guess, and it's not something that I ever um, had prepared to do from the start of the year. But as the as the years kind of went on, and a oh, bit of a no-brainer in the end, and once I kind of met um, Clarko and went from there, it kind of uh, it gave me a lot of confidence that um, I'd made the right, right choice. Okay, and the other one that was interesting is Tom Boyd, of course, uh, the former AFL star who's now a mental health advocate and has written uh, publications regarding mental health and how professional sports people, in particular AFL footballers, should uh, handle it. And it's interesting, he actually was caught up in a conversation on SEN and he told us about his experience as an 18-year-old draftee. Have a listen to Tom Boyd. The problem with homesickness is, one, that it's not articulated that well, and two, that, you know, people do go through it at various stages of life, whether they be footballers or other people. But I, I just want to paint a, a quick picture about exactly what my experience was, which is I finished school on a Wednesday afternoon at a physics exam. didn't do particularly well. My, my teacher was very smart, but not very good at explaining things to people who weren't as smart as him. Um, I walked out of there. The next Thursday, eight days later, I was standing on the stage of the Gold Coast Convention Centre being selected as pick number one. That's how quickly things changed. Um, I flew back to Melbourne on the Friday. Saturday, we had a celebration at my place with the Eastern Rangers boys who'd been drafted. And on the Sunday, I fell asleep as an AFL player for the first time. So within 11 or 12 days, your entire life is turned upside down. And to couple that with the fact that, yes, you may be very, you know, particularly disconnected from your family and friends. And what I found was, in particular, it always felt like when you saw your family, if you were lucky enough to have family members who could come up and see you, or perhaps when you were back in your home state, you're always on borrowed time. And so for 18-year-old kids, it is quite confronting to move from being a junior footballer to a senior footballer where you've been you know, best in the country to suddenly you're you know, probably nowhere near the best in the AFL. You're also getting paid full-time. It's a vocation um, difference to what you've been doing previously. And you're also, you know, transitioning from a boy to a man and you're moving into state. Like, all these things play into the fact that it can be confronting in your first AFL season. And, you know, one of the overarching things that I think the football public can forget is that if they did an honest assessment of where they were at, you know, as a regular person finishing school, starting uni, starting TAFE, starting a, a, a trade... At 18 years old, the amount of expect, uh, the expectation and accountability and responsibility that placed on these young people is immense. And they ask for it, they're getting paid well for it, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it can be particularly challenging. I think people would be served well by remembering that at different times. Well, now he played 61 AFL games. He played nine for GWS and 52 for the Bulldogs. And he was selected with the first overall pick in the 2013 AFL draft by the Giants and then was traded to the Bulldogs following the 2014 season. And, of course, if you recall, in 2016, Tom Boyd helped the Bulldogs with their first premiership since 1954. But after struggling with injuries and mental health, he announced his retirement from AFL football in May 2019. And now he's very much a mental health advocate. And he wanted to talk about Jason Horn francis is a 19-year-old, and he mentioned homesickness here. Here's a bit more on what uh, his perception is of Jason Horn francis who wants to go back home to Adelaide. I just, fingers crossed, hope that 
Jason has very good representation around him, people who are being frank about the positives and negatives of his decision, the challenges he will invariably face if a trade goes through and the fact that expectations will continue to rise, they won't diminish. But at the same time, he needs to make decisions, again, based on the best outcomes that he can find for both his career and his life as a whole. There you go. Interesting. Uh, Tom Boyd, uh, certainly... Uh, giving us an insight on certainly how he perceives things when it comes to young footballers that are getting drafted at 18, which was a situation for him. All right, coming up after the break here on Drive with Peter Vlaos, all thanks to SENWA. Of course, it's brought to you by Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre. Mark Duffield, as I said, I had the chat with him yesterday, um, and we're going to feature it now for those people driving home on this Thursday. He announced that he's leaving the West Australian. He got the gig after being involved in the regional newspapers in 1992 was his first year at the West. And as we know, the Eagles won the premiership that year. It's been an incredible journey. Uh, we'll look back at the career of Mark Duffield, who writes his final article in uh, this Saturday's West Australian. He's coming up next. Don't go away. You're with Drive with Peter Vlahos. All thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. We're going to speak to a gentleman who posted on social media this morning. And I'll just quote from that posting. Yesterday was my last day at the West Australian. I have spent 37 of the last 40 years working for the West or affiliated papers. The plan is for me to write one last column on Saturday. And thanks to everyone who has helped me in my career. Talking about very respected Football journalist, chief footy writer at the West Australia for many years. Mark Duffield joins us on Drive with Peter Vlahos here this afternoon. Duff, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. I think my official title now is former chief football <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, there's been a huge reaction to that post this morning. The amount of people that have jumped on board to wish you the best uh, going forward uh, has been quite incredible. You must be... Uh, pretty humble in some ways to get that much feedback from people that you've connected with over the years. Oh, mate, I'm feeling the opposite of humble. I've got my chest out. I'm, I'm thinking of running for five minutes. No, it's been lovely and um, um, uh, to hear from so many people. And, um, yeah, it's great. But I suppose... If you've been doing it that long, I guess you you sort of like come across a few people, don't you? No, oh, you it's certainly very do. Nice, very nice to see. So what I'd like to do, Duff, is just in the next uh, few minutes, just reflect on what has been a, an incredible career, chasing all the big stories, speaking to all the big uh, football names in this country for many, many years. But just going back to Mark Duffield, born and bred around the Narragin region. Is that correct? I think you went to school in Narragin. Tell us about your early days. No, I grew up in Darkin, um, so which is a town between Collie and Williams, um, and uh, it's a little farming community. Um, I, I I went to school in Darkin from years one to year ten, and then I, I went to Narragin and boarded the Narragin Hostel for years eleven and twelve, and uh, and they were great years. It's not often that you have that many friends around you as when you're in a hostel situation with kids your own age and. Um, that was a really uh, a great time for me and um, and did a lot to shape me as a person. Saying that, you've uh, even now in your latter years and, you know, you're a mature person now, you've still kept that connection with the country. You enjoy going back whenever you can. 
Um, yeah, I don't get down there as often as I'd like to, um, but I, but I'm very much a country boy at heart. I think once you sort of um, you get those values that country people do have, I think they tend to stay with you and. Um, and you know you treasure those sort of things because I think they are um, real salt of the earth values, and that's um, um, they're important to me. So yeah, I I, um, I still have a brother um, who runs the family farm, and and um, he's the father of Paul Duffield, the former Fremantle player. And Paul Paul's gone home, and he's on the family farm as well. So um, that's always great to get back there, and that that is the place that more than any other place in the world feels like home. So you eventually came up to Perth. Was it for schooling? Was it for university? Was it for a job? What led Mark Duffield to the big smoke? Well, actually, so when I was 18, uh, it was 1982, and um, I wanted to come to Perth and play football um, for South Fremantle. They were keen to get me down, and Mick Moylan was their recruiter at the time. And um, So the week I was supposed to move up, I'd actually... I dropped off a resume at the Southwest Times in Bunbury um, in December uh, 1981, I reckon, when I got my TAE results back, and um, I just dropped them in there um, uh, out at Profit Street in Bunbury. And the week before I was due to come down to play for South Fremantle and move down, um, I got offered the first cadetship at the Southwest Times. And uh, my father sat me down, and he had a good talk to me. And, of course, football back then wasn't fully professional anyway and um, he, he pointed out that one of these things was a sport and the other was a job that may lead to a career and um, and that uh, I should be taking the job which I did and um, judging by the football I played after that point I made the right career, <laughs> I think. So why journalism and why sport writing why sport reporting uh, was it in your blood were you keen to do it or just uh, it fell by chance your way? Oh, I've always been a sports junkie. I've always been one of those guys who picks up the newspaper and turns to the back. Um, and I, I grew up reading people like, you know, Jeff Christian and Ken Casellas and um, the great Colin Hopkins, the great sports writers of the of the West Australian. Um, I was actually a general news reporter um, for quite some time. At the Southwest Times, you sort of do everything. Uh, and I did some sport reporting, but also um, a lot of news reporting as well. I... I was there in 82, 83, 84. In December 1984, I moved to Perth and started work with a, um, a sort of a weekly supplement that was um, the West was putting out at the time called the West Advertiser. Um, and then in mid-1985, I was um, uh, brought on to the main reporting staff at the West Australian, and I was a, I was a general news reporter. Um, I went to... Melbourne as the junior reporter in the Melbourne Bureau in mid-86 and stayed until mid-87. And then I actually left and went back and worked on the family farm for three years. I didn't actually become a football writer until 1992. Um, And Robert Taylor went down to become the sports editor and Robert and I had worked in the Bureau in Melbourne together and and Robert wanted me with him as as a football writer and, and I've pretty much been a football writer since then. 1992, pretty famous year, wasn't it? What a, what a year to come into it. Yeah, it's fantastic, and I, I still remember that day. And in fact, I'm writing one last column um, for the West on Saturday, and, and the 1992 Grand Final and Peter Matera will be a part of that column. And um, uh, that was a big day for West Australia, and a big day for um, for Wagen people. And of course, Darkens only 60 k's from Wagen, and, and when I was growing up, I was 
I was playing footy against Wally Matera um, in home and away matches, and we used to play together in association junior games. So I um, was very familiar with the Matera family. Saying that, was Peter Matera your favourite AFL player, certainly on this side of the country? A lot of people tend to sort of rank the West Coast Eagles greats. You'd have Matera right up there, I gather. I always think that Chris Judd is the greatest ever eagle. Like, he's the one that... Um, uh, well, sorry, the best ever eagle. There are probably others that, because of longevity, maybe um, go past him for greatness. But he was the best player, I think, ever to play for West Coast. But certainly, Matera um, is yeah, in that short list of four or five players. And I think that that game, I mean, who kicks five goals off a wing in any game, let alone in a grand final? And, um, and they weren't just five ordinary goals either. Three of them were absolutely unbelievable goals, really. So, um, uh, yeah, he was you know, certainly one of the most watchable players of his time. It was certainly a phenomenal period, that early 90s, two premierships in 92-94. Then the Dockers came in in 95. You mentioned about the family link to the Fremantle Dockers uh, with your nephew. Uh, I gather, did you have a bit of a soft spot for Frio when they got into the competition? Or was it or difficult to, of course, be, remain unbiased, knowing there was another big animal in the football, football community here in Perth? It's, it's very difficult to avoid the perception of bias in Perth, I think, because most people are either one or the other, and um, uh, and it's a very parochial city. I, I like to think that I um, trod down the middle somewhere. I, I am a Fremantle person. I, I make no secret of that. I, I was a West Coast supporter right up until grand final day in 1994, and um, I knew that the minute the Fremantle came come in they would be the team closest to my heart and uh, um, uh, and yeah that's always stayed the same and it was probably only enhanced a little bit when Paul started um, playing for them but certainly you cannot not respect um, what West Coast has done they've been a great club over a long period of time and um, those 92 and 94 flags are, are among my fonder football memories. You mentioned some of those great uh, football riders of the past, you know, the Colin Hopkins, the Jeff Christians, you know, Ray Wilsons and others that have been, uh, have been here and spent a lot of time writing, particularly for the West Australian and, of course, the, the Sunday Times. Mark Duffield, you've certainly been behind the old typewriter when you first started. Of course, now as technology has taken uh, journalism forward. But has it become more difficult as you've gone along or did you enjoy particularly in those early days before social media, the chase? Yeah, I think that was... The great days of newspapers were probably even before mobile phones. Um, and your best way of getting a story was to go out and be amongst the people that were likely to give you a story. And that's when reporters were very gregarious and social and, um, you know, often stories were sort of shared, you know, around hotel bars and across the table at restaurants and, and those sorts of things. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I think the, I, I was very fortunate. I think that my developmental time as a journalist was very much the golden era of newspapers, I think, and that was in the 80s and probably even into the 90s. And I was very lucky that I worked under great newspaper people. You know, Don Smith was my first editor at the West Australian, um, Paul Murray, um, and Bob Cronin were the people that got me back to journalism after I'd spent three years on the farm. And you mentioned Ray Wilson. Ray Wilson saved my career because I left the West very briefly to go to work at The Australian in 2003 and didn't like it and felt like I'd blown my career by leaving the West Australian. And Ray Wilson got me back and brought me back into the fold. And uh, 
I'm eternally grateful to Ray for that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Mm. Mark Duffield, who will write his final column after an outstanding career of journalism for the West Australian, the Sunday Times. And uh, as he mentioned, he spent some time at the Australian as well, starting, of course, in the Bunbury office in the Southwest Times. Duff, what stories gave you the most satisfaction? Oh, look, I'm... A lot of journos are all about the big yarn. I'm, I'm kind of, I love the game. And so I don't remember the story so much as the games and the best games. And, um, um, and so, you know, I talked about Materia's performance in 92. Um, I think about the great Western Derbies. I think about the, um, the Derby in 2006 when Paul Hazelby slotted the goal with less than a minute left to give um, Fremantle victory. The, the Hayden Ballantyne shot after the siren in 2011 when he hit the post. Um, you know, those games, I think, um, they meant an enormous amount to West Australians and they were just great to cover. Um, my, one of my favourite games ever was the, um, the 1999 preliminary final when um, Carlton beat Essendon, when Essendon went in as odds-on favourite. And, and um, Fraser Brown pulled the If he'd gone around, he would have shot to win the game. And um, one of the best games of footy I ever saw was um, the West Coast Hawthorne Mm. Uh, elimination final in 1992 at Subiaco Oval. I still remember that game. And that was probably the start of Peter Matera's run in that final series. Matera in the last quarter, he'd been going hammer and tongs against Darren Pritchard on a wing uh, for three quarters. And then in the last quarter, Matera just went to a level no one else on the ground could get to and pretty much decided the game for West Coast. Um, That's a very fond memory as well. It's interesting, uh, Mark Duffield, what you're saying. Saying that, there's been some interesting times in AFL football and football here in Perth, Western Australia. I saw him actually at the WAFL Grand Final on Saturday and he looked a picture of health and looked outstanding. We're talking about Ben Cousins. When that was going down around the West Coast Eagles uh, about 15, 16 years ago, how difficult was it to cover... And how disturbing was it to cover from a football perspective? Well, it was actually um, difficult for me on a personal level because Ben had been writing a column for the West Australian right up until um, 2004, and I was his ghostwriter. So I was meeting Ben on a, you know, uh, it wasn't a weekly column. I think I think one week we'd do a, um, a West Coast person and the next week we'd do a Fremantle person. I think it was probably once every fortnight. Ben and I would sit down at a cafe and have a conversation and then we'd produce a column out of it. So, yeah, Ben and I had a relationship and um, as a you know, sports writer and sportsman. And uh, um, so to see that happen and to report on it was very tough. And I remember writing a story um, midway through 2005 where I called for Ben Cousins to hand back the captaincy or West Coast to take it off him because it became clear that his life away from football had simply got to a point where he couldn't be the leader on field of of a club that meant as much in the WA public as West Coast did. Um, that was tough and um, uh, but I you know what I would say is that you know the passing of time I guess and, and Ben um, as you said he, he looks great now and um, I remember finishing up a radio show at the ABC and driving around the corner into St George's Terrace and he was coming out of a cafe with a coffee in his hand and and, uh, and I pulled up and stopped and we had a great chat and uh, he's, he's 
looked a picture of health at that time. He's looked a picture of health ever since, and it was just such a pleasing thing to see um, and such a pleasing thing to be able to talk to him again. And, um, yeah, it's fantastic. But that was a, yeah, that was a really tough time. I think West Coast would say, in hindsight, it was a tough time internally and one they could have handled differently. Um, and uh, it was certainly a very tumultuous time in the football media in Perth. As we've mentioned, uh, nearly four decades, which is quite incredible when you look at it, Mark. It's a testimony to your uh, resilience, your perseverance and your expertise that you've lasted the journey because it is uh, a cutthroat business of media, as we all know, and uh, you've been exceptional in the way you've written stories and certainly people have been educated and informed uh, through your writing. From the time you got into AFL footy to where it is now, where you leave it for the time being, what has been the most significant change for you? Um, I think the big TV rights deals, which have meant the game has been able to become full-time. And um, I think the result of that has been the coaches have been able to train players differently. And some of that has been for the better and some of that has been probably the game has become a bit overcoached and we've had things like these press defences and uh, a lot of numbers around the ball and, and those sorts of things which have made the game I think probably not quite as good to watch as it has been but having said that the flip side of that is um, I'm not one of these people that believes the skill level has, has dipped or anything like that I think it's gone the other way and I think if you go back and watch the games of the 80s and 90s you can see that players can do things with the ball now that they couldn't have possibly done back in those days um, and I think the stand rule, while a lot of people don't like it, um, that's been introduced over the last couple of years, I think that's brought back ball movement and the game has become more attractive to watch. I think the other thing uh, that we can't underestimate the significance of is that women's football has, has been, you know, there's a revolution going under um, underway uh, with women's football and it's very much uh, a product in development. Um, but the fact that everyone gets to play now and it's not just young boys but young girls who aspire to play football i think that's a significant factor and i think it'll be a significant factor as much as anywhere it'll be a significant factor in the frontier states like queensland and new south wales my understanding is that women's football in queensland in particular is absolutely booming and that can only be a good thing for the game both men's and women's in that state and hopefully a similar things happen in uh in Sydney and particular the the western suburbs of Sydney because I think that will be a great thing for the code there. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, Duff, as we let you go, just in brief, um, will you miss the job or was it time to move on? Well, I'm hoping to um, sort of like maybe move into a different phase of um, of uh, my career, which may still involve being, you know, in the media and maybe even the football media. So we'll wait and see what pans out there, Pete. Um, it's a long time to be at one place. And also I would think it's fair to say that newspapers are undergoing significant change and the environment requires significant change and you have to make a decision as to whether you want to be involved in that. And they have to make decisions as to whether a person at my age can make the necessary adjustments to allow them to be involved in that. So these are all tough calls for everyone to make. Um, I'm comfortable with this. And um, we'll wait and see what happens. Hopefully there's one more good work adventure in front of me, mate. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is, Duff. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, mate. I could talk to you for a long more to a lot uh, longer, let me tell you, but it's been great to get an insight into your philosophies and where it all started and uh, where it's all ended. But it's been a heck of a journey. Thanks for joining us this afternoon and we'll hopefully catch up very soon.
Good on you, Pete. Thanks to Mark Duffield. Certainly an outstanding career. Look forward to reading his final article in the West on Saturday. That's been Drive with Peter Vlahos on this Thursday. Thanks for joining us. I look forward to your company on the Ladbrokes Lounge with Nat Medhurst from uh, 9 o'clock on Saturday morning. Have a great night. Catch you on the weekend.